Dun, 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 dun. I have published a new book. It's called The View from the Deck, Thoughts on Values, Vision, and Gratitude. If you like morning motivation, you're going to love this book. You can find it on Kindle and in paperback form on Amazon, and the audiobook is coming soon. So check out The View from the Deck, Thoughts on Values, Vision, and Gratitude on Amazon now. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to another Sunday Reflection. As I record this, I am strolling in the woods at Bluff Point State Park near where I live. So if I sound a little bit winded, it's because I am strolling, which is not sitting at my desk. If you hear birds or crackling of leaves or the breaking of a twig, that would again be because I stepped on it. I have diverted from the path I was walking on to a quieter path because the main path is somewhat well-traveled and people are very polite and want to do things like say hi and engage with me, which is a problem when I'm trying to record a reflection and honestly a problem as I'm trying to reflect. I, I'm quite extroverted. I love people. I love engaging with people. But sometimes even I need to not engage with people. I need to go where people are not. So I took this little spur branch here and it's much more of a a path than a trail. And there's trees, there's leaves um, on the ground. There's no leaves in the trees yet. And it's a good place to think about the idea that there is a time for every season. There is a time for everything. You know, it says that in the Bible. <laughs> I'm sure it says it somewhere. And if I had my computer in front of me, I'd look up where. But Somewhere it says there is a time, which of course we all know because there's a song about it from the 60s. There's a time to reap and a time to sow. There is a time to work and time to rest. And we forget about that last part, a time to rest. So there are rules in many religions about a Sabbath. There is a day you must not work. You may not work you are restricted from working on the Sabbath because it is God's day. Now, is this because God is so fragile that he requires us all to give 14% of our time to his worship? I don't think so. I think it's because we need an excuse to take 14% of our time away from work. And this is true if we are farmers eking out a living from the ground. And this is true if we are modern information workers, eking out our living with coaching programs and courses or technology or writing apps or whatever we're doing. Because left to our own devices, we would work until we were very, very tired. And then we'd stop. And then maybe we'd watch a movie or something, but feel bad about it because we should be working. And then we go back to work. And we're never really at our best because we're always a bit tired so we rest just long enough rest just long enough to get back to work and some of you may say well no no no, i only work four days a week but then you plan stuff for the family and you clean the house and do the gardening and plan vacations and so many vacations aren't restful at all as you know because you got to make sure you see everything and you got to make sure you go over and go make sure everyone's happy. You got to make sure you're getting your money's worth. So today we're talking about 
rest and mindfulness and taking those moments to stop and think about things because we need to do that and we've needed to do that since the beginning of time. So I have multiple streams of income in my business and the backup stream of income for all these multiple streams because sometimes all of the streams together don't add up in a given week. And the backup is gig work, which I do because I enjoy. First off, I enjoy getting paid. But secondly, when I drive Uber, I get to meet all kinds of interesting people and I like driving. So last night, I met a number of interesting people. I met, uh, I met a couple who, was, who had just met at a bar and was going to one of their respective homes to do what couples, young couples do when they first meet at a bar and then go home together. And if you don't know, uh, ask your parents. Um, you're probably too young to know. But <laughs> that, that was a fun bunch. Um, I talked to a woman who was a bar, uh, uh, not a bar manager, a uh, head bartender. Learned a lot about the business of bartending, which was interesting. But what I wanted to talk about was I met a young man, 18, 19 years old, who is a convert to Islam. Uh, and it was an interesting one because every once in a while I get lucky and I drop someone off and then the pickup's exactly the same spot, which is perfect because there's no time getting between pickups. And I dropped a fellow off at, um, at the gym and the gym was in the same plaza as a Muslim prayer space. I don't know if it's called a mosque there or if it's a prayer center or what it's called, but it was a Muslim prayer space. And I picked up this fellow who had the full robe and headpiece, and he was carrying some watermelon in a bowl, and he got in the car. And I strained my brain for what I knew of what I believed to be his religion. And I said, were you out of Ramadan service? And she said, how did you know? Because <laughs> apparently most people aren't familiar with his religion. I recently happened to observe that Easter... Passover and Ramadan all overlap this year. And I mentioned that. And, and he said, yes. And he said, well, you know, Ramadan's... You know, I started to explain why Ramadan is a great season. And it's very relevant to what we're talking about today. But... Um, and, and what he told me was that the purpose of, of Ramadan, the purpose of fasting from sundown, uh, uh, sun up to sundown is it gives you focus. It reminds you of why you have a faith. Every time you feel hungry and you don't eat, it is a, it is a tiny prayer. It is a tiny reminder of your faith and what you believe in and the fact that you believe that there's a higher power watching over you, that has a plan for you, that is guiding you and protecting you and keeping you on the path. And is a continual reminder of that, which can be very powerful. That's the concept of Lent as well. That's why you're supposed to give up something meaningful for Lent. And most people give up like fish on Fridays or something, or give up meat or whatever. But if you give up the thing that everyone else is telling you to give up, like I could give up cable TV for Lent. Well, I don't use it anyway. So... The point is you give up something that you notice and that leads you to be aware of your faith. 
And you talked about the, the praying five times a day. So, you know, before I became a Muslim, the idea of praying five times a day seemed like a whole lot. It seemed very disruptive. And now that I'm doing it, I realize it is five reminders a day to think about God. It is five reminders a day to think about what I'm doing. It is five reminders a day to think about why I'm doing what I'm doing. And to just stop and say, hold on. Give me a minute. What are we doing here? What's this about? It is five times a day, 35 times a week, to rest for a moment. And it's not that, like, pause and, okay, I'm resting. What am I doing about it? You have to do something entirely separate from what you're doing. If you're a computer programmer, you have to stop programming to lay down the mat and do the prayer. Which gets you out of your chair, which is a good thing. Gets you out of your computer screen. Gets you out of what you're doing. And gives you the chance to stop, turn your mind away from it. And as we know from neurology and psychology, when you stop thinking about something, you don't stop thinking about something. You create quiet in your mind for your subconscious to start thinking about something, to start figuring out what's really going on. And I suspect that many great ideas have come at the end of one of those prayer sessions. The way this young man became Muslim was interesting. He is, you know, lives in a central Connecticut, white fella. And he started studying, or he got curious about countries where there was oppression, especially oppression of women. And so he started looking into it, and then uh, he started looking into the history of Islam and the rules of Islam and the Quran and, and all that. And what he discovered was that Islam does not in any way suggest that women are inferior to men. What happened was, at the time that Mohammed came along in the, in the uh, fifth, uh, seventh century, at that time, the Arab kingdoms were very much led by a group of you know, independent kings who could make whatever rules they want. And in some of these kingdoms, a family might have a girl baby and bury that baby in the sand because they didn't want to deal with a girl because, you know, girls weren't productive family members. And he came along and said, you know, you really shouldn't do that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not going to change your opinion on women and convince you they're equal, but, you know, maybe don't kill them. And we see this in the Bible as well. Some people say the Bible condones slavery because it has all these rules about how to properly treat your slaves. And, of course, it does not. Slavery was a thing. Right? It's like saying the commandments about uh, theft condone theft. No. It's going to happen. What do we do about it? So slavery is a thing. The authors of the Bible knew that if they said, stop having slaves, people would just ignore them and say, your book is crazy, go away. So they said, well, we know you're going to have slavery, and if you're going to insist on having it, then why don't you have a couple restrictions about how you treat the slaves? You know, if we're going to have debt, that's okay, I'm not going to stop you, but why don't you have a couple restrictions on how you manage debt? 
etc., etc., etc. So then, of course, what happens is that some of the leaders in the Muslim world ended up taking advantage of misinterpretations of things, either because they didn't understand it themselves or because they understood it but chose to interpret it a particular way that benefited them uh, or for any number of reasons. And the actual rule, the actual religion was misappropriated and misused as religion sometimes is. So he got into Islam and uh, found that it was very valuable for those reasons he shared. And he got into my Uber and shared them with me for reasons I found very valuable, which I wanted to share with you. So as I'm walking out here in the woods, it's sort of a metaphor for that as well. I'm not thinking about what I'm doing or where I'm going. I'm simply strolling along this trail. Should somebody happen to come towards me, I go off the trail and walk around in the grass and the leaves and, unfortunately, brambles. But it's easier than dealing with uh, trying to maneuver somebody walking by me as I'm recording. So I simply plod. I don't know where I am, although I'm pretty sure I can find my way back. And if not, you won't hear this because I can't post this from my phone. Uh, <laughs> but the idea is to clear that space. I'm not worrying about what I'm doing. I'm simply talking while I'm walking, which is generating that flow of ideas. Is this one of my best? Well, it's the second one, so it is certainly one of the best too, no doubt. But the point is, the idea I'm talking around, I'm reflecting on here, is the importance of rest, the value of rest. An uh, analogy I use with my clients sometimes is that the pit stop is part of the race. It is not a distraction from it. It is not um, you know, something missing from it. The pit stop is part of the race. Now, certainly you try to build a car in such a way to minimize how many times it needs to pit. Because if you can eliminate one pit stop from the race, it's going to make a difference. But if you skip a pit stop that you need... Not by, you know, taking the corners differently so you don't wear your tires, but just by skipping a pit stop you need, then you'll blow a tire, or you'll run out of gas, or your wing will fly off, or whatever. And if any of those things happen, then you will not finish the race at all. And it doesn't matter how fast you got to the 197th lap if you don't get to the 200th lap, or however many laps there are in that particular race. And that is why you have pit stops so you can finish the race. And we forget that we as humans are far more complex machines and far more delicate machines than Formula One race cars and also far more dynamic. Now, the interesting thing is that you can rest in ways that seem like work. As I am strolling, I am getting exercise. I'm sweating a bit. I'm moving my legs. I'm moving my arms. There's some hills I'm walking up. So I'm getting exercise, which is a form of work. It is productive. I'm going to be able to check off my little exercise app that I worked out today and got my cardio. 
But it's a different kind of work. And if I did this every day, I would develop, you know, sore feet and possibly sore knees because I'd be doing this kind of work every single day and sitting down at my computer would be a rest from it. So there are forms of work that are restful, but this can be a trap as well because we say, ah, I can just work all the time and just do different kinds of work and I'll never not be productive. Look at me. Uh, uh, uh. Because there are times when you need to absolutely just rest. Sit down and watch the water or watch a movie or play with children or play a board game or whatever. There's times when you need to do unproductive things. You cannot work all the time and you can. But if you do, the cost will be you will not be the best version of yourself. You will not be your smartest, most creative, most clever self because some parts of you will always be fatigued and not at their best. So I encourage you to think about, as you make the list of all the things you need to do and all the productive activities that you complete and all your KPIs, that's key performance indicators, and all your measurements of success, be sure to include one in there that measures resting, that measures rejuvenation and recreation, which is simply recreation, creating yourself again so that you are ready to once again create for the world. Find some way to do that and you will find your life be richer for it. You do not have to be working and productive all the time. I thank you for your attention. I thank you for listening and hope you found this valuable. I'd love to hear your feedback and your thoughts. You can send them to me at michael at guywhoknowsaguy.com. That's michael at guywhoknowsaguy.com. If you're listening to this on the Sunday Reflections feed, then I do have a daily motivational podcast at morningmotivation.fun. And if you're listening to this on Morning Motivation, then I have a weekly feed, which is just Sunday Reflections, uh, which I think is what I'm going to call it, Sunday Reflections, probably some other words after it that are podcast search-worthy. So check that out. And I thank you for your attention and your thoughtfulness. I have published a new book called The View from the Deck, Thoughts on Values, Vision, and Gratitude. If you like morning motivation, you're going to love this book. It's a lot of the same concepts. The basic principle of the book is that I was coaching clients, and they were telling me about their dream life, and I was recognizing elements of their dream life in my everyday life. And it made me realize there's things in my life that people are dreaming of, and there's things in my life that the me of a few years ago would absolutely have given his right arm for, and chances are you've got the same. So I took these concepts about values and what makes us do what we do, vision, where we want to be, and gratitude, appreciating the awesome things we have, and put them together into one awesome book called The View from the Deck, Values, Vision, and Gratitude. You can find it on Amazon.com. Just search for Michael Whitehouse, The View from the Deck, and get your copy today.